to this week's episode of Serpent Temple. This is going to be a weekly review. We're going to be looking at three albums. One is an old album by the band Coven called Witchcraft Destroys Minds and Reaps Souls, released in 1969. The second album is a more recent release by the band Afterbuff. It is called Four Dimensional Flesh, released in 2020. And the most recent release is by the lovely band Turnstile called Glow On, released in 2021. So, Floyd, Coven is definitely different to the other releases we're reviewing today. What did you think of Witchcraft Destroys Minds and Reaps Souls? Well, firstly, lol, 69. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's a a maturity of my humour. That's the sex number. Yeah, yeah, this was different. Because there's a couple of facts about this album I thought was really interesting. Like, not so much facts, more coincidences. Yeah, I know what you're going to talk about. Such as, yeah, it's the fact that um, the bass player, who was credited as Oz Osborne, I can barely (laughs) say the name, that's how excited I am. You mean, you mean... (laughs) That's how excited I am about the fact, Oz Osborne. (laughs) (laughs) The famous... Osborne. You've broken me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just ugly laughing so hard right now. Oh, oh my God. shit. <laughs> Fucking hell. Rock the Osba. <laughs> wow, that's... I'm really dehydrated. <laughs> so f- fucking up words even more than usual. Fucking... <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Were you perhaps trying to say Oz Osborne by any chance? No, I was talking about the uncredited member, Oz Osborne, who um, wasn't credited on the album. So it's even more of a coincidence. No, yeah, I was trying to say Oz Osborne. Uh, yes. And the first track on the album is Black Sabbath. And this is exactly almost a year before Black Sabbath debut album, Black Sabbath. Yeah. So this is before Black Sabbath. This album was released before anyone knew of them, before they had, like, officially released anything. So this is definitely a <coughs> weird satanic coincidence. Yeah, and I'm guessing, well, from what I've read anyway, that this is some of the first um, kind of recorded music to include such strong references to the occult, right? It and this literally is like a, has a black mass in it. Yeah, yeah. and it's the... Uh, I read that it's also the first... Then to feature the devil horns. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know how true that is, but I know the singer Jinx Dawson, um, she has said this. She was friends with Dio because Dio yeah. also says that he was the first to introduce the devil horns. Um, well, well, so... the, well, the thing is, I also read with... The thing about... <laughs> I also... <laughs> the thing with Dio is, obviously, he's got Italian heritage, right? Yeah, in Italy and, and that's Spain. Like a, it's like a thin, right? It's to yeah. like... to. You say so they, to... they do it like this. Okay. So they, they have it point the head, so it looks like, looks like a devil head. Yeah. So you're like making a little demon to be like, fuck off, demon. Yeah. Go away, devil eye. And like, that that's what Jinx was saying. So I feel like her and Dio probably had family members who would do that. Yeah, um, cool. But yeah, apparently she was in the Rainbow Bar and Grill talking to Dio. And Dio was like, yeah, I'm thinking of starting this band called Rainbow. And the singer of Coven was like, that's never going to take off with a name like that. Are <laughs> yeah. you sure you want to call it Rainbow? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did it take off? It did. Okay, <laughs> it did take off. Did very well, yeah. Now, I know da- Rainbow were a band, by the way, <laughs> just for anyone who thinks I've never heard of fucking Rainbow before. I just want to clarify that. Oh, bless. Well, so I we- also read. 
<laughs> so like the other day when I put that, um, this is not going to be relevant to anybody else, but me and Nina, when I put in the uh, the chat about um, Aragorn breaking his, well, Viggo <laughs> Mortensen breaking his toe, so I was like, I wonder if anyone's going to take this bait. But... Okay, so I'll do a full run through of the uh, band members. You've got Jim Donlinger, his guitar vocals. There's actually three people listed as playing or contributing towards all the keyed instruments. So oh, yeah. I've got Jim Nyholt, John Hobbs and Rick Jurette all listed as organ, piano and keyboards. So I don't know if that's respectively or combined. I wonder if it's but, all at once. And then uh, two people listed as ba for bass as well. So the huh. Oz Osborne <laughs> and Alan Estes and then Steve Ross drums and percussion. Um, so, I, so with this album, I think... Musically, obviously, it was something that was quite similar to a lot of music that was kicking about at the time. I think for me, one of the standout things on the album is the vocals by Jinx Dawson. I think she has a tremendous voice, and I think there's some like vocal techniques and things going on, which I think, frankly, probably would have scared the ever loving shit out of people back in 1969. Like, there's some actual like proper screaming in, at the end of the, the title track, not title track, sorry, the uh, opening track, Black Sabbath. And um, also, like, the last track, where it's just fucking... It is literally just a, like a, 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 a... What do you call it? Monologue? Or the Black Mass? Yeah, Black Mass, yeah. Yeah, I don't know which version you listen to, because there's the one with the Black Mass, and then the recent... I think they did, like, a 50th anniversary release or something, because they've been going for 50 years. They still play shows now. Yeah. Jinx is still active, and she still has a... She's 70, and she does not look 70. Well, I watched a bit of their live footage from the set they'd done at Roadburn, and, like, one, she looked absolutely amazing, and it sounded really fucking heavy, because, like, this album, I think, musically isn't too heavy, mm. but from, obviously, from a lyrical and a contextual perspective, there's obviously elements that I could see as being really influential to a lot of, like, kind of burgeoning mm. metal bands and stuff, but, like, you know, like, it's like when you listen to, if, if you kind of, like, grew up listening to death metal and you listen to Black Sabbath, you'd be like, oh, well, that wasn't, that, that's not that heavy. But I think sometimes you've got to take yourself out of your own perspective and your own experience and put yourself in the eyes and mind of someone that would have been experiencing this back in that time. And yeah, I think it was like super fucking like influential and kind of pioneering. But yeah, the live set looked fucking amazing, actually. I mean, I mean that's just a testament to Roadburn as well because I feel yeah. like this their stage and the production that they, that they give the artists the freedom to pursue just allow for such amazing sets to be performed at that festival. I absolutely love that about Roadburn. And they are so, they're also really careful about um, like what artists they invite. Like if they don't want to, I've heard that Walter will go to great lengths to make sure that bands don't have dodgy members and things like that politically or with their views and things. So I really, I really respect that. So the thing with this, um, with the, so the, the last track on the album is officially the, the Black Mass, which is like a legit recording of a Black Mass. Then in the, the edition release that I listened to for this, Jinx has like a monologue at the end where she's like talking about um, how the album was written and recorded. Yeah, I re yeah, that was the one. I listened to the Spotify version and that was at the end. Yeah, yeah it's so cool because she's talking about how like they all signed, like they've all made a pact um, that they would like never betray certain they will never betray certain things and she was like two people have betrayed the band and they talk about how like um when they went to record sign the um label contracts they all had like red sharpies on the table waiting for them and they were like 
this is stupid. No, and they got out their knives, their ritual knives, and <laughs> cut their wrists <laughs> and then signed in their <coughs> own blood. And all the label execs were like, what the fuck? No, um, and then, like, when they did the album, the, I think, like, two people from the label, they cut out bits of the Black Mass. Um, and they're like, you know, they shouldn't have done that. They've, they, you know, we're, we're naming and shaming them now. They're like, this is, this is your comeuppance and stuff. And then they're talking about how, like, they didn't do everything properly for the um, ritual and that like they didn't sign like sign off the ritual properly at the end and it like ended up with her cat getting killed and they like left and her cat had been like smashed against the wall or something oh shit yeah and it's like really creepy it's like genuinely super creepy and she's like incantation incanting I, I guess. She's I don't blood in Canton. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Yeah, it's like, it's really, it's really like, um, she's really good at storytelling. Like, she uses her voice really well when it comes to, like, <coughs> she can just tell you something in this kind of almost frantic but powerful way. It's, like, really commanding her voice. Yeah. I've noticed that on a lot of the tracks, she likes to kind of, like, emphatically sing the title track at the beginning. Yeah. Or at least during the chorus of every track. Like um, what was the um, the the uh, coven in Charing Cross? Oh, it's so catchy. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's really like every time I listen. Now you've just said the title, I can't get it out my head. <laughs> it's really catchy, and she does some really cool stuff with harmonies and like she'll sing something low and then sing it high, and then the harmony will be high on the low part and then low on the high part. It sounds doesn't sound very good when I say it like that, but hopefully you get what I mean. Um, so there's like lots of crossover with the harmonies. And yeah, she's just fucking terrifying. It reminds me of, uh, the voice reminds me a bit of, do you ever listen to Melanie Safka? No. Like an old Canadian kind of folk singer. Mm-hmm. My mum's obsessed with her, but it's like super, super like powerful voice and like a really good range as well. It's um, definitely, it'd be interesting to know if, if Melanie was an influence. I, I think Melanie was around in the early 60s. Cool. So it would have been potentially an influence. Yeah, there's um, def- sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I just think it's really cool that something that is so kind of like seminal and kind of important to the um, the progression of the sort of heavy metal genre was kind of started by a kind of like a, a badass fucking... A woman. Yeah. Yeah, and not many people... So I think what happened was, I think their stuff um, got pulled by the label when yeah. they saw how like satanic it was. So a lot of people didn't actually realise that they were straight up Satanists. Um and then in 1971, one of their tracks, One Tin Man, got really famous and it charted because it was in the soundtrack of a Western film. I think it was called... Billy Jack? Billy Jack, that's correct. But everyone was, like, obsessed with the song, but no one knew that they had this album witchcraft um, with, like, satanic shit in it. So they just thought they were, like, a band who did just this, like, normal-ish song. Um, and, like, yeah, because, like, you couldn't find it. And it wasn't until later on that, like, you could find their stuff more readily and that people, like, kind of worked out who they were. So they, they had, like, several resurgences and their most recent one was in, like, the last five, ten years. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I've, I've actually meaning to listen to that track to see if I recognised it, but um, I didn't get around to it. But, um, but no, there's some... Um, it's a really, like, interesting... Because I knew none of this prior to like reviewing it none of these facts and stuff and just kind of crazy that that i've never been made aware of this prior to this point it's really funny because um because they were like so i don't know you know that like famous journalist lester bangs he was like the almost famous guy yeah um he described black sabbath as the british answer to coven yeah 
And like now we just don't know who Coven are. It's so weird how music can do that. Like the narrative of metal is Black Sabbath and not Coven, <coughs> which is it kind of must be bitter. I don't know if if I like invented if I was like kind of one of those. Because when you when you listen to when you hear about proto metal, you don't hear about Coven so much. You hear more about like Sir Lord Baltimore, like the other pro- proto metal stuff. I've kind yeah. of like tried to shoehorn into the podcast to be like, <laughs> hey, how about this, huh? Um, but yeah, I feel like it's funny because a band like Electric Wizard, straight up, hundred percent, hugely influenced by Coven. Like the presentation, this like the way they sing about satanic stuff, like even the the way the narrative way they sing, like all the songs in this album are sung like a story, like an Iron Maiden style story, where it's like this is a, there was like a coven and they did some sacrifices, they killed a baby. Then I'm obviously not doing it the same way she does it, but like there's that still there's that element of like basic storytelling which is really effective and wizard do that maiden do that loads of bands do that and these guys are doing it in this satanic concept context and it's like really fucking heavy and the singing has loads of vocal distortion and screaming and like she's doing weird stuff with her voice as well like wicked woman is probably one of my f- most iconic um coven tracks for me where she, like she just does this like weird like spitting whispering kind of yeah sounds so lame when I do it like that but she does that she does that like in the chorus and you're like damn that sounds so good it's like she's cracking a whip or I don't know there's some like definitely some like BDSM shit in there for sure yeah no it's um so when did you kind of like first you personally discover the band and kind of uh... I heard Wicked Woman um I don't know where but it was a long time ago I think I probably discovered them on YouTube honestly I think I just saw Wicked Woman and I was like that looks cool and yeah. um, it's a wicked woman she's empowered and i just like clicked on it i saw the album cover and it's got this like blonde woman flanked by like upside down crosses and shit so yeah i just thought it was sick and i really liked it it's probably when i was listening to electric wizard i think i was if it was or maybe it was a velvet underground thing because i really liked venus and furs and i think wicked woman was probably like a suggested video or something yeah yeah no it's um it's always interesting for me being introduced to something kind of so seminal at such a late stage in my... Well, I'm not dying or anything, but such a... <laughs> uh, such a Jesus Christ! An advanced stage of my uh, musical life. God damn. Advanced <laughs> stage. That's terrifying. <laughs> no, but it's... Uh, musically, it was quite good. I think um, there was some... I, I, I do really like... I, I, I always love organs and that being implemented as that trad rock kind of sound and... Um, some great bass work, drum work. Like you can tell, like the musicianship is pretty damn good as well. Like my favorite track probably is like Coven. The, the In Charing Cross, Cross. Yeah. yeah, it's a real good one. I really like it. Her like her lyrics are just so um, they're really simple, but she's really good at putting them together. Like yeah. it's really it's really rare that I'll listen to something like this and actually like pay really close attention to what she's saying because it's so it's so like. Um, like old school storytelling, musical storytelling by a fire. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it's... Um, so they must still be touring now then, right? Yeah, oh, they still play no. shows. They actually played London a, a while back, um, but it was like £40 for a ticket and I couldn't afford it. Yeah. But they, they did have a... They were really famous for their stage show. I don't know if they still do it, but um, Jinx would come out of an actual coffin on stage 
And at the time, it was, like, really, like, a huge deal because this was, like, around the time of Alice Cooper and stuff like that. I think it was before, even. And she would just... They'd literally have, like, a real coffin. They'd wheel it on stage and she'd just come out and start singing. See, do you know what? I think it's so cool because, like, there's such a sense of, like, legitimacy to this band compared to, say... Like, I was literally just going to say, like, an Alice Cooper what was very much more like shock rock and kind of just done from an almost kind of theatrical perspective and kind of corny and goofy. Mm. And I actually used to think the same, I'm not going to say much else about them, but you actually used to think exactly the same about Marilyn Manson as well. Like, I didn't think there was ever really any substance to anything he ever really did. This is like as Dax Riggs was to Marilyn Manson with Acid <laughs> Bath. This is yeah. like that to Alice Cooper. Although I do, I do rate Alice Cooper more than Manson, I'd say, because he, I liked his political aspects of what he would do. He was actually saying something. Yeah, and I feel like Cooper, yeah, exactly. Like he, he's not as one-dimensional as I think I just made him out to be. But, um, <laughs> but I can see why you'd think that based on the yeah. stage show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She just did a really good motion. <laughs> like, uh, not like I think Alice is going to be tuning in or. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's going to turn up at my door dressed in a golf gear with a golf club and one fucking. I, I, I don't listen to Alice Cooper like or anything like that, but I do I do like him. I don't think there's anything wrong if you nah. if you think it's goofy. I can totally see it is goofy. Like yeah. I agree on that level. But yeah, this is legit because they're actually fucking doing rituals and shit. Yeah, and especially like... the fact about the contract sign. I didn't know about that. That's pretty fucking like legit. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. I mean, I wouldn't. I'd faint because I don't like blood. So I'd be like, yeah, I'll fucking oh, sign this. But um. Another fun, quick fun fact before I forget, but um, I think Shem will maybe appreciate this. Alice Cooper used to play golf with um, Bill Goldberg, the WCW wrestler. <laughs> pretty random. Just the image of Bill Goldberg, this giant man playing golf with um, Cooper. Just pretty, uh, pretty weird. It's weird thinking of him playing golf. That's, uh, I he's wonder obsessed. if he dresses he, up. He's like almost professional. Wow. Well, he, uh, he is professional, I think. Like he's at like a pretty elite level. Damn. Alice Cooper, elite golfer. You <laughs> should do a game. Elite golfing <laughs> on the N64. That would be uh, interesting. Um, yeah. So one of the Coven posters um, back in the day actually had a nude Dawson lying on an altar as the rest of the band um, displayed the devil horns around her. Yeah. So this is like one of the... It was obviously very um, controversial because back then, Naked Lady... And this was, I think, before the Satanic Panic because that was, what, in the 80s, the Satanic Panic? Oh, God. Because that was like a Manson thing, wasn't it? Bye. It was Judas Priest. So that would have been 80s, Judas Priest. Yeah, because so that, that was when he went to court for the, um, for, the, for the backwards lyrics, right? Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. So, yeah, I think this band are, like, so before their time. I think if they released this in, like, 80, in the 80s, I wonder how differently it would have played out for them. They probably would have been, like, properly tied into the... Yeah. satanic panic stuff and ironically could have catapulted them into like bigger fame but the crazy thing is that they released it in the 80s and not when they actually released it would we even have half of the shit we have now exactly so exactly it's true it's true i wonder if like ozzy saw this and was like hmm Oz, Oz osborne maybe i can yeah if i just <laughs> change one of the syllables there <laughs> yeah yeah just say yeah. osbo osborne um <laughs> yeah i mean this is you know hands down an iconic album um that i think again should be up there and like i think it should get more credit for sure for influencing not only a shit ton of bands but also just the like yeah like just organizing this shit being 
so... I mean, Dawson described it as a scholarly work. Like, one of the members came to our house with, like, a box full of books, like, satanic yeah. books and stuff, and was like, here, like, base your lyrics on these. And she, like, wrote the whole album in one night. Yeah. All the lyrics for the album. Damn. And I think, like, she said that the there was, like, four more songs contributed by the rest of the band members, because there's ten songs on the album. So, yeah, obviously she's put a shit ton of effort into, like, cult cultivating these lyrics and researching Satanism. And it sounds like she does Satanism, too, or did, by the sounds of it. And she's fucking young-looking, so I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if she's, like, doing some... Like yeah. virgin blood shit or something. That's that's literally what all the comments were saying on the yeah. Rogan video. Which is like she's definitely signed a pact with the devil. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's funny because I've always, me personally, I've always found the whole Satanism thing quite hokey. With um, but I'm talking mainly in the context of like death and black metal here. It's so hokey and black metal. Yeah, yeah, it's like not in any way. Well, that's the thing is like the context of black metal is like is anti-Christian. Whereas Satanism is the most Christian anti. It's like the most Christian way of rebelling against Christianity because it's based <coughs> on opposing God. Yeah. So it's like... So you've got to believe in that concept initially. Right. To, to, to have an antithesis to it. It's, it's like trying to rebel against your parents by being like your parents. It's yeah. really... It, I, don't, like, I know there's different kinds of Satanism. Levain Satanism, I just... I don't want to... I mean, we're literally reviewing a satanic band and I think Coven are legit and what they're doing is really good. But my personal opinions on Satanism, I'm not... I don't rate it very highly. I don't like the satanic church in America very much because they have some like real dodgy shit yeah. um, going on behind them. And at the moment, they're trying to like shoehorn themselves into Texas with this abortion stuff, which is good, but also people should do a bit of research into... I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like choosing what you want to believe in, but do your research on your institutions for sure. Well, there's some people that are absolutely convinced that Satanism plays a big part in the New World Order as well. And that it's legit Satanists uh, uh, helping harvest this thing called the adrenochrome. Oh, the adrenochrome is, thing. Oh, no, which is like the fear gland or something. Yeah. Oh, there was like a comment on YouTube where someone was like, oh, yeah, how, I wonder how she looks so young. And someone's just replied with a single word, adrenochrome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Hunter S. Thompson just made that shit up. He just made it up and people just believe in it now. It's so fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it was like supposed to be a joke about how that shit is like not a thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, ironically, if you inject a young person's blood into an old person's veins, it does reverse the signs of aging. And that's like a thing people in Hollywood are doing now. And that's not a conspiracy theory. It's like actual well, thing. Well, that was always what they said about the royal family was that they would get regular blood transfusions, which would, which is why a lot of them lived to such a sort of ripe old age. I mean, like not like, Prin not like Prince Philip looked healthy. I mean, he looked like he died <laughs> he looked 30 like he years ago. He was a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't think it's going to be very long until Amazon are like drone dropping bags of blood into our houses uh, as part of our monthly subscription to yeah. look like, you know, we're three-year-old children because that's what's hot apparently. Um, but Called yeah. it to Dagon from Inquisition. No, Ooh, probably cut that bit off. Oh, <laughs> <What's> shit. <that? laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck. Well, Steelfest will like that comment. <laughs> Love heart reacted by Steelfest. <laughs> and Steelfest fans. Anyway, shall we, speaking of blood, shall we move on to the band Afterbirth, um, who released Four Dimensional Flesh in 2020? Not to be confused with the Fresh Speed Metal Band from Massachusetts Afterbirth, or the Death Metal Band from Pennsylvania Afterbirth, or the Fresh Metal Crossover from Alabama Afterbirth, or the Heavy Metal Crossover from Michigan called Afterbirth. This is the Long Island, New York 
Afterbirth. There's also a death grind band called Screamin' Afterbirth. Ooh, a placenta um, that can scream? Yeah. Wow. The album cover was a, a bathtub with like Bub Buff in it and just a, a solitary shit in the middle. I'll show it to you afterwards. <laughs> a it's single a, solitary shit. That's how I remember shit. it anyway. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was the album cover. I, I prefer the memory to the reality yeah. either way. The album cover of this band is like an astronaut in an Escher painting, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the artwork was actually done by, I mean, he's got like a, I suppose, an artist's name of Keyshaw. And he's from a, a band called Black Harvest, who are kind of like a, mm. kind of a, a blackened sort of death band from, um, uh, I can't remember if they were from the States as well, potentially. I would expect yeah. possibly. So what do you, I know this is more, this is like a Floyd suggestion. Yeah, well, like a combined suggestion from me and Shem, yes, I think. Yeah, you guys uh, are big fans of the Heavy Hole podcast. We've been Shout out. Of, yeah, we've been yeah. ingesting a fair amount of content from that particular podcast. And yeah, I mean, like the whole New York, Long Island death metal scene is a revered, like, facet of the death metal scene for a reason. Uh, the interesting thing about this band is um, uh, they released one demo which gained, like, kind of cult status called a psychopathic uh, embryotomy back in 1993 and it was one of the earlier kind of um releases that really encapsulated that kind of slam style like I, like suffocation were also one of the earlier ones with their 91 release effigy of the forgotten that's a real seminal kind of new york death metal release and then that was the only recording this band did for years wow for years and years and years and then basically um this is their second full-length album uh, the first one, Time Traveler's Dilemma, was, was released in 2017. And unfortunately, tragically, the original lead singer died. And um, uh, Will Smith, uh, one of the guys from the Heavy Hole podcast and a member of bands such as... Uh, um, uh, well, I, I never remember any bands. Uh, I, I think I can help you here. Artificial, Artificial Brain, Brain. <laughs> of course, the main one. I know. It's like one of your favourite bands. Oh. Buckshot Facelift. Breaking Aura and... Um, the ex-Demolic tribute band, Biolic. Yeah. Which sounds like a Pokemon move, I must but say. But Artificial Brain. Do you know, I was, I was, Artificial Brain was the one I was thinking of, but in my head I just had the word afterbirth and I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't formulate the, the words. But um, And that's another great band as well. They do some really cool kind of like dissonant, kind of like techie death metal. We'll probably have some on here soon at some point. Yeah. yeah. But he's also, he does a good job of kind of emulating that really kind of toilet bowl vocal style like popularized by like uh ruben rosas the uh the uh, development vocalist and um matty way from disgorge and um yeah and anti bowman from demolic as well like one of that he's the first one to really popularize that kind of really weird croaking kind of like frog like vocal style uh but this album is i personally prefer this newer one to their first album, Time Traveler's Dilemma. I feel like they really kind of found their feet with this release, whereas Time Traveler's Dilemma was a bit more of kind of like a standard-ish sort of tech death album. It still has a lot of the experimental elements that are prevalent on this album, but I think that it's always cool to hear bands that have elements of slam. I wouldn't even call this a slam release, but it's got a lot of elements of it but intermingled with some pretty interesting shit hmm. which i go into detail a bit later so i'm quite eager to hear what you thought of this album yeah i mean i knew it was going to be good because you guys suggested it so it was good um that much is certain i really i thought it was a really interesting album um i looked into more of the i mean musically i knew you were going to do a great job of, of um 
of like describing it, it's like pretty interesting. There's some interesting drums. The vocals are definitely sounds like a toilet mid flush, which is a good thing. Um, I really, I was, I was kind of surprised because I thought it was going to be more death metal-y, but there are bits in it that actually remind me of the next album reviewing that's Turnstile. There's bits of it that are kind of like, kind of like uplifting guitar. Almost reminds me of like Don't Hate Me Here of some emo music. Because like, I hear that. there's, yeah, yeah, there's sure. definitely like a really <coughs> introspective sound to the album, like especially with the instrumentals, there's like three instrumentals if I remember correctly. And you've got Girl and Landscape, which is like really dreamy and neurosis-y at times. And you've got these like kind of like big soundscapes happening um, amidst these like toilet vocals. And then I looked into, I was like, oh, I wonder what the lyrics are going to be like. There's going to be some, like, really, like, relationship, <laughs> introspection, like, you know, like, neurosis style, like, industrial lyrics. And I, I look and, and um, they were definitely not what I was expecting. Um, <laughs> there's, there's definitely a lot of stuff about senses. There's, like, a sensory exploration in the album, I would say. I think that's where, like, the intersection between the music and the vocal and the lyrics, like, kind of kick in. Um, but I, I kind of, I'm very curious. I'd love to know if there was like more of a concept like overall, because I kind of skimmed the lyrics. I was kind of confused by beheading the Buddha and then spiritually transmitted disease because I don't know if this was intentional, but it just, it just made me think of like the Taliban blowing up the Buddhas of Bamiyan in Afghanistan a few years back. And that was like kind of weird. And then following that with spiritually tra transmitted disease, I was like, what is the, what is the intention here? I would love to know the intention behind um, that curation with the, with the lyrics. But then the actual lyrics after that, like kind of seem to be, it reminds me of like a space movie where everyone's dying, um, which is cool. I really liked, um, I really liked the lyrics to Rooms to Nowhere because I thought they were kind of like, they were kind of simple in like a really endearing way. So I'm going to read them. Um, let me see, where have I put them? Where have I put them? So here's, here's an excerpt of Rooms to Nowhere. It goes like this. Am I dreaming? Is this hell? The air in these rooms has a smell. Now I'm crawling on the floor and I can feel grease and dirt on my paws. Not paws like a dog, paws like in your skin. <laughs> my screams, they echo and then come back to me. The walls get narrow. It reaches out for me. How do they follow through the rooms to nowhere? As it gets darker, these halls lose all gravity. I float, drifting here, vertigo. And then in parenthesis it says, excrement starts to flow in the air. Yeah, there's definitely like a kind of like a sci-fi space exploration sort of thing. And I think this is uh, following on from the previous album, Time Traveler's Dilemma. So I think it's loosely mm. following the horrific exploration of time travel and certain sort of cosmic horrors. Is that the fourth dimension then is time? I'm guessing so, yeah. That's what I, that's what I would have thought, yeah. That's cool. Um, but no, like for me, the thing is, and like I was saying this a little bit off air as well when it comes to things like a death metal like i rarely delve into the lyrical subject matter because i'm just like one half the time the vocals are completely indecipherable anyway especially with this kind of brutal death metal style mm. but it's um but for me it's just how well it all meshes together and like i think this is one of the very few albums for me that straddles that fine line between having elements of extreme brutality and really kind of like poignant melody. Yeah. Similar to what like Kathia or Flame do. Yeah. Because like there's times this album was just like, holy shit, this sounds like an, a, a like Kathia or Flame yeah. song. 
And I'm like, and there is very few bands to the point where I I can't actually even think of another band that even comes close to not necessarily emulating that style, but but creating something that has that same impact with me from that musical perspective. That's really cool. So, and there's just some really cool, like, uh, like just, and they're they're big fans of the pinch harmonics as well, which is like a big thing in the death metal, especially the New York death metal scene as well. Bands like uh, Immolation, who are big on like sort of like. um, harmonics and stuff and uh, malignancy as well who are uh, who are they had an album um <laughs> called introtering cannibalism which is <laughs> what is it with the womb and these bags intrauterine 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 losing the plot today aren't i god forbid that you become a gynecologist <laughs> <laughs> not for lack of trying <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Someone should just send a bunch of death metal lyricists into like into like a medical school and just watch them faint when like a pregnant woman walks oh, in. Like, thank- like, Good lord, a baby in the uterus. I don't thank- know. <laughs> thank God we're not reviewing a carcass album, especially some of the earlier ones. That'd be- it's so funny. I love this like death metal obsession with vaginas. It's like it's like the most terrifying thing a man can think of. <laughs> I love that. I love that I'm walking around with the most feared object in this entire genre. It's like it's like in Dune, the place no man can go. I love that. It's so yeah. great. It is crazy because you look at a band like Cannibal Corpse. Like what they've got a track called "Addicted to Vaginal Skin." Is it spelled like? Is it is addicted spelled with like dick? Is it A D D I C K? Oh, that's such no, a shame. They really missed that one. But then, like you know, it's if you ever go to a death metal show at times and there is a, a good portion of the crowd and you could tell they a lot of guys there have never had any form of vaginal touch yes yeah. to put it diplomatically <laughs> <laughs> oh bless them but no um yeah so it's um and there's yeah you were touching on the instrumental tracks and how they have um some quite um just quite varied instrumentation and one of the tracks actually really reminds me of uh Enslaved, funnily enough, in Times Era Enslaved track. Yeah. It was the, um, uh, which track was it? It was Minimum Safe Distance. Mm. So the instrumental tracks are only about a minute and a half to two minutes long, but I think they provide some good kind of brevity and relief from some of the other tracks, which were a bit more of a full-on kind of like onslaught. But even in the more fully-fledged tracks, I reckon there's a lot of melody and kind of interesting things going on there's some great cool effects going on with some of the uh, some synth work going on in the background that's just really quite definitely adds to the the lyrical subject matter of it being set in kind of like a a sci-fi kind of setting yeah i really like that i really really liked two songs in particular one was swallowing spiders um, and the lyrics for this, like, kind of embo- like conjured this nightmarish scene of women standing in the sea, swallowing, like, shoving spiders into their mouth, if I remember correctly. It's great. Uh. Um, and then I love Black Hole Kaleidoscope. It's, like, chaotic. And it reminded me a bit of Cryptic Shift at times, so I really liked that. Well, the funny thing about swallowing spiders is there's a part of the track that really reminds me of Akakok. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting that that was your favourite track. Cause there's, there there's- you go. There's parts of it that have that kind of same. You know how Akakot kind of do those, like, they do a good job of doing those, like, dizzying riffs, but they're still, yeah. like, super catchy. Yeah, yeah, I know what you I mean. Think, yeah. Because yeah. I think that's the problem. I've said this on the on, on here before with Tech Death. A lot of it is just way too flashy and not enough actual feeling and thought. 
goes into the actual like creation of the music but like like i would say this album is techie but in a way that it's completely human still there's got there's like storytelling in here like they've they've actively tried to craft the album in such a manner where there's like a beginning middle and end which i think some bands are like oh we'll put this here we'll put that there and they will just stick this one in there so i really like that i think that's what you know that's what music originally was that's why lyric means poetry and also music because music was originally how we told each other stories so there you go that's me being a bit of a wanker um but yeah i really love this album i think it's great um i just yeah these guys seem fun and and they like time travel um and i yeah i'd like the the um kind of almost what's the word almost vulnerable exploration of the senses here there's a lot of like i wonder how much of it is like um analogous to the new york landscape because i felt like there was you know, the the rooms, the endless rooms to nowhere, is that like a New York skyscraper? There's like a mention, I think, in Spiritually Transmitted Disease, or everything in its path of like this beast with like sizzling sewage dripping out of its mouth. Yeah. So I was like, is that like a New York, is that like a road? Because I went to New York once and there's like a lot of like, you know, sewagey. It's nice. I'm not calling New York like a sewage place, but it's like got the, you know, in the films, well, there's New York in a film and there's like the steam coming yeah. up from the from the grills in the road, from the, the sewers, and then you've got like the big skyscrapers. I, I hope I'm not being racist to New York because I liked New York, but there you go. That reminds me of Hey Arnold when you were describing like the oh, thing yeah. series. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure that used to happen and that's a cool cartoon. I loved Hey Arnold. Yeah. Yeah, his, his head was such a weird shape. Yeah, move it, football head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a good cartoon. Imagine being a kid and your hair grows like that. That must be so stressful. Yeah, there's basically similar hairstyle to mine. If I grow up my really? hair, it kind of just grows there. Yeah. When I was a kid, so my hair was like mini Marge Simpson. Oh, no I had like cartoon. It was like this big like hillock of curls. Yeah. Like weird kind of, yeah, it was solid. Anyway. But I think this is, what's so interesting about this, like I was mentioning before, was that here is a band that had nothing but like a cult demo that gained like a bit of traction mm. back in the days, particularly only really among like the death metal enthusiasts. And like typically there's, it's, it's quite a common thing where a band would have a series of demos and then fucking years, decades later, come back with something and it's shit. Like they're just, they've totally <laughs> lost touch with like whatever it was that they captured back then. Like it's just yeah. like they've tried and it's just like, it's just fucking failed. But oh. like, that's not what's happened here. Like yeah. they've come back in and exceeded, I think, everyone's expectations about what a band that have had a I'm trying to do basic maths in my head now over twenty year hiatus have come back and produced something that's actually relevant to the scene now. And I think you know it's the original members more or less, um, apart Will from Smith. The, the vocalist. Yeah. yeah. So it's like testament to you know that um, Shem was telling me, which I actually didn't know because I've not seen the episode yet that the guitarist was like quite into yoga now and spent a bit of time just away from music and kind of, you know, so it's just real testament to them as musicians. I think that they could come back with something that's so vibrant, you know, like this dropped in 2020 during the pandemic and it blew my fucking mind when I first heard it. So I was just like, holy shit. Like I was expecting just an album full of like, you know, like a devoutment worship or something like cephalotripsy or just some form of, you know, like derivative of slam. But no, like this was actually new and it's an evolution of what they were doing before which i think you know it's not something you really see too often in death metal bands that have been you know around the block a few times Mm. yeah for sure i gotta say as well i can really hear the demolic influence as well in the vocals yeah yeah it's it's not mixed in the same way but like i can hear the influence for sure 
it's a big night. It was a big nineties thing where I think, um, and uh, Joe from Broken Hope as well was another one that really was the first to employ a super super deep kind of subhuman guttural style of vocals. And for a good few period, for a good few years in the nineties, and I think stretched to the early two thousands as well, it was just all about who could do just the sickest, like most ridiculous sounding vocals. You know, you had bands like Guttural Secrete. Um, um, sort of internal suffering, a great Colombian band who I think ended up relocating to um, uh, New York. Um, just used to, you know, it was just, and it was kind of quite an exciting time because it was just like it was always pushing the envelope. It's like it, it sounded ridiculous from someone not part of the scene, but to people that were into death metal at the time, there was something just so interesting about hearing vocals just sounding more and more kind of Inhuman. sewage like. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it was just super cool, and that's a thing. You know, I think that's always been a thing in death metal as well with the vocals. That's always been an accompaniment to the music. Like it's always mm. served like a percussive element, as opposed to like an actual, um, you know, like lead guitar melodic yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and you like it's not catchy. There's no real death. There's no there's no vocal hook with hooks. a vocal. Yeah, I mean, it can actually be quite catchy because you find that a lot of bands, especially in the New York scene are heavily influenced by hip hop as well. Mm. So it's like there's often a flow to like the, the like the grunting it actually is similar to like a hip hop style beat and especially with things like slams and breakdowns they're heavily influenced by like you know kind of like big bass drops and like fat sort of like hip hop beats. That's so and cool. Stuff as well. So it's like it's a merging of two sort of styles that wouldn't be immediately apparent to anyone listening to it for the first time. Yeah, definitely. I would I wouldn't have been aware of that. I know so very little about hip hop. Yeah, same. Yeah, no, I demonstrated earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, we can move on to the next one, unless you have any final remarks. <coughs> but no, they're just... Um, yeah, that was my final. Simply so to that was, that, was my, uh, that was me trying to do death metal vocals there. <laughs> um, no, no, I just look forward to what they do do next, and it'll be cool to... Um, want the main thing I'm looking forward to with everything that's happened happening in the... Uh, pandemic is hopefully things become safe again and i would just love to see some more u.s bands again because i think we've all kind of realized right during doing this podcast is that we're quite into a lot of music from the states (laughs) (laughs) and like it and i think it's a sorely there's a lot of bands i kind of really am itching to see live now that have made some like big waves in the scene the last sort of few years um and hopefully hellfest will be a good opportunity for that because there's they've got a good varied lineup so Fingers crossed. Ooh. But we'll have to wait and see, of course. God. Um, but yeah, no, and just uh, once again, just like fucking shout out to the New York death metal scene for just fucking always being true and repping it so hard in death metal for so many years. Like they've never fucking compromised. And like you've got bands like Internal Bleeding as well who are just so, so seminal to the scene. And I felt like, you know, you've got a band like Dying Feeters, for example, who have had pretty... I'd say a lot of success. I mean, they've been booked on download and stuff and, you know, but there's other bands who've done a similar style of death metal who've just kind of faded into obscurity a little bit. In the, from the mainstream perspective anyway, like in the underground scene, they've always been seen as important bands, which is good. But yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's just always good to listen to some fucking good old fucking US death metal. Hell yeah. Hello, New York death metal scene. We send our greetings. Um, so let's look at Turnstile, the new album Glow On. Um, to my understanding, this is a shift in their sound. It's the first time I've listened to Turnstile. Um, not a genre that I normally dip my toe into, but I, I'm happy to because it's great and wonderful. 
So um, you should probably introduce it because you know more about the band than me. Yes. So uh, my friend Jack actually introduced them to me at some point during the pandemic, actually, um, to their second album, Time and Space which was more kind of rooted in the punky hardcore, but it still had elements of kind of like slight forays into contemporary sort of pop leanings. But it just really kind of caught me off guard because, you know, like, and I think we've said this before, if I had never listened to pop punk before, I've never been a big pop punk fan. Yeah, me neither. But like, if I had never heard pop punk before and you had to tell me or ask me what I think pop punk sounds like, I would point to a band like Turnstile. Yeah. I would be like, this in my eyes is what pop punk is because it, it's not, it hasn't strayed too far from the hardcore, hardcore punk leanings of like, you know, your Ramones and your Misfits and stuff, but it still has just a bit more of an edge to it and not that really fucking annoying vocal style. Like, oh, just, just, why like, just not a fan of it. Like, just, I hate my parents, but I'm 40 years old, vocal style. Yeah, yeah. And, and do you know, at the end of the day, there's enough fucking fans of it. It doesn't matter what I say, because there's enough fans of that shit for, for it to be popular forever. So, you know, it doesn't matter. But I think it's shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just weird when adults make music marketed at 12-year-olds. It just creeps me out. Yeah. I don't get that. It's a bit odd. But anyway, so like this album is, I feel like this is a very, uh, once again, it caught me off guard because there's elements of this album that I feel really heavily lean into kind of like contemporary pop stylings, whether it be the track Underwater Boy, spelled B-O-I. Boy. Boy. Um, and yeah, and it's just really cool to hear them kind of diversify their sound while still kind of retaining their core kind of values and integrity as musicians. Like the second track, um, Breakdown, Breakout, sorry, Blackout, sorry. Wow. <laughs> Let me just double check this shit. <laughs> uh, that's so I funny. Right. Oh, trust, now my internet doesn't want to work. Oh, no. I, for the, you have the track list and the list of Dean. They're the Dino. only band I didn't do a track listing for because I was Classic. like, Floyd will do the, <laughs> that bit. Pretty oh, sure it's no. Blackout. I think but so. That's got a breakdown in it, which is I think that's where I got the word break from there. That's what confused me. <laughs> but it's got like a pretty sick breakdown towards the end. And it's um and yeah, and like this is interspersed with like some almost Latin percussion. So much Latin stuff on this. It's yeah. awesome. It's so groovy and it's just really, really nice to see like a non-typical Western musical style introduced into this kind of obviously I'd say that, but into this kind of like cool, more like I wouldn't say mainstream because it's not like some like foul, tasteless bong water that's being marketed at like people who don't like music. It's really, it's actually legit really good. And I, I it's they've like marketed themselves to a broader audience and they've done it really fucking well. <coughs> like it's, it, there's bits of this album, like the beginning sounds like Mort Garson with the Moog synth right at the beginning of the album. Do you know the bit I mean? 100% because I said the same... Th I've written down the same thing I said when we were reviewing the Mott Garson album, which was that this reminds me of Steve Miller, Fly Like an Eagle. No uh, way! Like the cascading kind of synths. It's that same kind of fucking sound. Yeah. But, yeah, there's something cool where they had that and then it just instantly fucking transitions into the really kind of like anthemic... I love that sort of riff and there's a lot of like very anthemic music on here and I think that is the word that I kept kind of coming back same, to same same um, like anthemic and groove because there was just a hell of a lot of groove as well and I think the vocal work on this album is much better on this album than it was on the previous album it's it's not quite because when I listen to Time and Space the second release I've still not listened to the first release just because I'm lazy <laughs> um, 
Because I, I, I found it quite jarring, but kind of in an endearing way. I was thinking, oh, I wouldn't expect this music to have vocals like this that are quite accessible. But I feel like on this album, he's kind of nailed the right moments to employ different vocal techniques. Definitely, like the kind yeah. Of the, the, kind of like, the kind of like half yell shout for like the big anthemic, there it is again, choruses. Hmm. And then, you know, slightly more restrained during a, a, a more kind of melodic or melancholic section. So it's just really well done and well crafted. That's reflected in the production as well, because every single song, the vocals are produced differently, which I think is quite unusual for a lot of bands. Usually they'll like, they'll just do, okay, this is the vocal, we'll just do it like this, it'll be panned like left, right, blah, blah, blah. And they'll just stick that and then occasionally put some re extra reverb or like a bit of delay at the end of a verse or something. Whereas this, like some of the songs have like a free part harmony. Um, yeah. which is like where it sounds super amphonic, which I really love. And they have like this choral style where there's like like backing on the vocal as well. So it's like a super layered vocal. Yeah. Other times the vocal will be like completely isolated. So it sounds like really intimate. And the way he's also using the vocal in each song is slightly different too. So I really love that. I think that's really um, clever. And they've put so much like detail into the album by doing that because there's so much detail in the production. Yeah. It's beautifully produced. And I think, you know, that's a very, very good point because I think when you look at the core of the music from a musical perspective, it's quite simple music. Mm. But they've taken that and they've used all these little production tricks and little flourishes and features that features a guy, uh, a guy from Ilford in London called, um, let me figure out what his name was again. <laughs> God damn. Oh shit, checking facts. Oh. It's coming, and here it is, the fact that you've been waiting for. It's the fact of the day, produced by Floyd Elphinstone on the Seven Temple Podcast. We have the fact coming up. He's scrolling on his phone. Will he find it? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's listed on the Spotify. Nothing seems to work for me today. Oh. I couldn't find it on my notes. And he does not get the fact title of the day. I've got it in my head, but in, I'm doubting myself now after the, after the breakout blackout thing. <laughs> no. So I'm thinking, like, if it's what I think it is and it's not, it's going to sound really fucking stupid. <laughs> Sorry. It was, do you know, I was fucking right. Blood Orange. Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, that he was in um, Alien Love Call. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that weird song. It's so weird. Yeah, and it was cool because it threw me for six because all of a sudden I'm hearing, like, like this spoken word, like, London yeah. accent. I was like, oh. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I think that track in particular, that was like a, I think that's a good example of them, you know, kind of foraying into something a bit more contemporary that would have a broader appeal. Definitely. Kind of similar to, this, similar to the way Bring Me the Horizon have kind of transitioned into that poppier sort of style. Mm. I think they've done a good job of doing it. Well, well, I mean, some Bring Me the Horizon fans will disagree, some that I know as well, because they absolutely fucking hate that album. But, like, there's a lot of people that says, you know, it's kind of pretty punk rock of them to decide, you know, fuck it, we're just, just going to do, do a pop want. album. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and, and now they're doing, I think any things they've been doing recently have been a bit more similar to their kind of, kind of metalcore leanings. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> but no, I think, and this is the same, you know, like it's dipping in and out of different genres while still re retaining its core sense of like groove and like, and there's definitely like still a strong element of hardcore here. Like I will like readily admit that I kind of fell out of love with the hardcore scene a few years back and just I'm nowhere near as well versed as I was back in the days. But like, there's been a lot of things that really make me want to kind of 
immerse myself in the scene again mm. from a musical perspective i've never been big into being part of a scene from a, a cultural perspective but um like i really want to explore some hardcore a bit more and kind of delve into some stuff um and i think yeah i think turnstile have done a great job of just really kind of branching out and um like even the track humanoid shake it up which is like a tupac kind of track it starts off like a classic almost like ramones-esque like really like old school like punky track and then transitions into something that sounds like one of the beatdown sections of a power trip song <laughs> which is just really cool so there's like the elements of thrash in there as well um one of the tracks fly again actually is i think a, a loose tribute to riley gale from power trip who unfortunately passed away as well and that was a tremendous loss to the scene Aww. in my opinion because a big power trip fan and i think he was thankfully i've seen them live and i have to say i think they would have been fucking a huge band if if things panned out differently that's so sad it's funny because fly again i i wrote that down because it reminded me of my raf with oh, the cool. vocal delivery and like the way the guitar was played at times. Yeah. Yeah, it's like really similar in my opinion. Oh, it's cool. I have to listen to it again, see if I could catch that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like hijaz, but in the Spanish in a Spanish kind of um way, which I love. It's so like danceable. I'm gonna listen to this album like after the podcast for sure. I really like it. And um I noticed that they, they use like lo fi as well. I don't know if you've like ever listened to those like wonderful lo fi playlists on YouTube when you're yeah. like yeah, there's like elements where they're doing that and they change the fidelity of the music at times. Like there's bits usually in like the second, the the last third of the song or like halfway through, they'll just like suddenly change where, how the guitar sounds in the mix and they'll like, yeah. they'll kind of like muzzle it, muzzle the guitar. I don't know if that's, you know what I mean? It just sounds like fuzzy and quiet and then yeah. like something else happens or something like drops in at that moment. You're like, oh, that's unexpected. I really like that. Um, yeah, because I kind of done that in the last track. It kind mm. of fades out, and then it starts with that kind of Mott Garson esque. Then, then the riff comes back in just yeah. for a few, like, a good ten seconds. I really love that. There's something really happy about this album. It's so like upbeat and positive. And I was looking at like an interview of the guys, and they're all just like, <coughs> they're all just lovely looking human beings, like vegan. I think they're vegan. Some of them might be. They're all straight edge. That much I know. Um, and there's just like they're on this rooftop in America and they're like looking at a sunset and two of them have like their arms around each other's shoulders and they're just like oh you know look at this over there isn't this cool and they're just like so friendly with each other they're all like really old friends and they just yeah. do everything with each other and it's really like that's so wholesome I think that's always it kind of reminds me of the, the kind of hilarious at times duality of the hardcore scene in the sense that there's a lot of people there's the real thing about brotherhood but then you go to the show and it's the most violent fucking show <laughs> you've ever been to like even a turnstile show like yeah. there's there was a footage of them playing in baltimore because they're from baltimore maryland home of the wire the greatest tv show of all time indeed i may have mentioned that before <laughs> um and funny enough they filmed it or they've edited it in a way where it looks like footage from something like woodstock or something or like lollapalooza where it's just, I could say Lollapalooza for some reason, but not, not simple <laughs> words. But um, yeah, and it just looks really like retro and kind of cool. But yeah, but like it's fucking like wild. Like there's people somersaulting off stages and people running off the stage, like running, doing the Greg Pucciato thing from Dillager Escape Plan where he runs along their heads. And you know, like it's, it's, it's wild, like it's fucking mental. If someone ran along my head, I'd literally die. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt I'd burst like a melon. Mm. But it's, um, yeah, so, and I think um, they're booked for Hellfest anyway. Oh, we'll go that. see yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, I remember so, we, we checked. Yeah, I just won't go near the front because I think it's probably going to be pretty rowdy. No, I, help. The, I think they're playing in the punk area as well, which is where the most violent pits are. So, cool. yeah, definitely back of the 
back of the uh, arena for that one. This is definitely written for the arena. Um, I can hear that this is going to sound incredible in a big venue. Yeah, I think the track that's got the most hits on Spotify currently anyway is Holiday, and that doesn't fucking surprise me because that song is an absolute banger. Like, I've actually been listening to this album a lot in the gym because I like to listen to a lot of, like, mid-pace and music that isn't too challenging Mm. to get me through a workout, typically. And um, it's just been perfect for that because it's got the right pace and the right sense. And Like you said, it's upbeat and it's easy to listen to and accessible, but also still, you know, not accessible to the point where it, I think it's derivative or, or you know, overly commercial. I was listening to the Anthony Fantano review. Um, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I just had, don't have the attention span, but he called it dream punk. And I think that's quite a good description of it. Yeah, I could kind of see that. Yeah, it's just had that kind of ethereal kind of like quality to it at times. It's like pink and fluffy, but with an edge. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean like Death Heaven is like dream black metal. Maybe. Yeah. Dream black metal. That just sounds like it, there's some horrible joke you could make there about, yeah. I don't know. DBM. DBM. <laughs> <laughs> you a DBM fan? Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good description, I think, because it's... Um, yeah, like as you were saying as well, there's just the amount of shit going on with the production is just pretty wild and cool. And I think that all lends to that that quality where it does sound like just pretty euphoric at times as well. Mm. So it's uh, yeah, great album. Ever since I heard it, I was just like, shit, yeah, this is something I could so easily listen to at most points. Probably not a funeral. <laughs> I wouldn't listen to it during a funeral, but like at the gym, <laughs> on the bus, walking down the road. It's well, not many... <laughs> yeah. His yeah funeral, not his barbecue, where we dismember him and uh, serve him with meat patties and burger buns. Not that I've thought about this. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so Turnstile, fantastic album. Uh, I can't wait to see this live. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be. I'm looking forward to seeing them at Hellfest. I think it's. Um, God, that lineup is just ridiculous, but. You're absolutely right. I feel like a lot of this music was kind of designed to be its most impactful when played live. Yeah. And you can see it in that in the show that was uploaded on YouTube uh, in Baltimore where it was just like, it sounded so good and it was like a proper like hot day and there was just people just fucking having a good time somersaulting and, um, and um, flailing their arms. Turn styling it out. that's awful I think on that note I think it's probably time to end or do you have any more comments on your I think I've said all I want to say in regards to this album awesome thank you so much for listening and bearing with us Uh, feel free to suggest anything else you want us to review feel free to like and subscribe we have YouTube Spotify Facebook Instagram Twitter we have the whole shebang so yeah feel free to catch up with us whenever you want thank you for listening and goodbye till next time